0: Welcome to Decoding the Customer, a podcast about customer experience and how to realize customer-centric change in today's dynamic business world. I'm Julia Allfeldt, Certified Customer Experience Professional, Business Advisor, and your host as we explore topics, trends, and best practices that are enabling brands to thrive in the age of the customer. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a regular listener, thank you, and it's great to have you back. This is episode 90, the fourth episode of June 2020, and my last episode before I take a little hiatus to go on maternity leave. Big changes are ahead, but I will be back in a couple of months. In the meantime, I'll be periodically rebroadcasting some of the best episodes from the archive. Returning listeners will know that this show includes different types of episodes every week. Each month, I typically feature an expert interview, or a CX case study, something to inspire and spark thinking, while the rest of the month, we dive deep into the practical how-tos in the mini masterclass episodes. Today, I'm ringing in my 90th episode with a conversation I recently had with the one and only Gene Bliss. Gene has been an important figure in the customer experience industry. For many listeners, I imagine that today's guest needs no introduction at all. She's truly a pioneer in this field and has spent 35 years transforming companies, where she's led organizations to earn as much as 98% customer loyalty rates. Jean Bliss helps companies and people become the best versions of themselves. She guides them to define, build, and live the behaviors and actions that will fuse customers to them and ultimately create deep and memorable relationships. Creating these deeper bonds has been Gene's singular mission for over 35 years. First, as the inaugural chief customer officer at Land's End, Coldwell Banker, Allstate, and Microsoft corporations. Then, since 2002, guiding over 20,000 leaders around the world to understand that improving lives should be their most important strategic vision. She has shepherded a whole new breed of leader into the marketplace, prepared to lead this change through her pioneering years as a practitioner, experienced coaching global leaders, her four game-changing books, and as co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. If the proof is in the pudding, then there is certainly no doubt why Jean is one of the most prominent and respected thought leaders in the world of customer experience. I've been a huge fan of her work for years, so it was such a treat to interview her. Given Jean's depth and breadth of experience, I wanted to speak with her about her career and her perspective on the origins of the industry, as well as where it's going. Customer experience has continued to gain traction in the last 10 to 15 years, but it's been around for much longer. Most of us have limited context for those early days of customer experience. During our conversation, Jean and I discuss where the profession has come from, what's next on the horizon, and how we, as customer experience professionals, can chart the course for the next chapter. As this show has evolved over the episodes, professional development has become an increasingly important theme. So I also wanted to speak with the godmother of customer experience, as she's known, about her career path and advice to aspiring customer experience professionals. She shared some fabulous words of wisdom about how anyone, regardless of whether or not you have customer experience in your title, can get involved and build your customer experience kit bag. So if you're looking for some insight, inspiration, and guidance from one of the most prominent and enduring voices in customer experience, then stay tuned. A summary of the insights from my conversation with Jean, as well as links to her website, books, blog, and podcast which is called The Human Duct Tape Show, will be available in the show notes for this episode, which are on my website, julia-allfell.com or decodingthecustomer.com. Thank you, Jean, so much for taking the time to join me on the show here today.
1: Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure to be with you.
0: You were one of the first people to hold the title of Chief Customer Officer at several blue chip organizations and global brands. But what I'd really like to know is how did the godmother of customer experience originally get involved with customer experience and helping brands create meaningful relationships with our customers?
1: You could say it's in my bones. My dad, starting all the way back when I was a kid in Des Plaines, Illinois, there were seven of us, Lombardo's, and my dad had a Buster Brown shoe store. What was fascinating was that he became a part of the story of People's lives. He shooed a generation of children and their children's children, often to young moms such as you're about to be. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Putting the very first pair of shoes on these kids' feet. And he he became a part of their life, not as a shoe salesman, but developmentally helping these kids along the path. If it was the ballet shoe or as you needed a saddle shoe or whatever it was, and it was the whole family came in and he became a part of the story of people's lives, which is really what our work is, what our aspirations should be, which is at a moment in time, when you do what you do, are you there? Were you there? And how were you there? My dad was there in such a way that you know, we're Italian. So he was alone in the store and he'd cook garlic and peppers and all this other stuff. And if you came in and he happened to be cooking, you'd get a fork full of food. If you didn't have enough money in your purse, he would say, you know, get those shoes on your little one's feet, bring back the rest when you're in town. What happened, Julia, is that when he retired, a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. They couldn't imagine buying shoes from anyone else. And in fact, if you look at my website now, it is prompting people to think that way. What's your three blocks long? how will you be remembered? And that's really so much of what's missing for me as we get into customer experience. I'll talk about that more in a little while. So I had this amazing upbringing watching my dad. I kind of refer to him as Geppetto. He was like just this twinkly, magical person. But then I had the great joy of going to Land's End early in my career as my first big job And Land's End was like what my dad did, but on a bigger scale. We were $100 in sales when I got there. By the time I had left 10 years later, we had reached a billion dollars in sales and gone public. We were the Zappos of our day. I mean, seriously, if people saw me in an airport with our luggage, they would come up to me and want to tell me about how Land's End had changed their life and what we did. And those two things that gave me the career and the life I have, (laughs) because Living at Land's End, it was like capturing lightning in a bottle. We were able to live and work with what I call congruence of heart and habit. We were magical. We were all given a seat at the table. We were making up an entire industry. You know, we had the first 800 number. We were shipping 70,000 orders a day in the 80s, you know, during holiday season. And we got to build it from scratch. And so that's how this old godmother (laughs) started. And because I loved it so much, I said, gosh, I have to leave Land's End because I grew up here, jump out of the nest. But I want to keep doing this weird right brain, left brain uniting work, which finally clicked in for me that those were my gifts. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at being glue, good at creating an understanding around an end state and then uniting people, good at the creative side and the analytical side. And so that's why I then kept moving industry to industry, not because I was pushed out, but because I kept wanting to build my kit bag in these different industries. So yeah, that's my fast story.
0: Becoming the human duct tape, one might say.
1: There you go. Yes. That's why I call it the show the duct tape because, you know, think about it, Julia, how many people in your organization have a really complete view of the customer's experience or life with you? The CFO probably, but he looks at it in a different way. CTO from projects and things, but not the CEO because the CEO is presented silo by silo, right? And so that is really our gift to the organization. It's not about ownership. It's about perspective. It's about uniting. It's about establishing focus and building a way to weave humanity into leadership and how you choose to grow.
0: You were one of the first chief customer officers ever out there.
1: And I didn't have that title, but I was doing the work, right? So it didn't matter what the title was, but that was the work, the glue work. Exactly.
0: Within the organizations that you were working within, what was your path to that role where you were doing the work? I get a lot of people asking me questions about, I want to get involved in customer experience. This sounds so interesting. How do I find my way? How did you find your way?
1: My first role out of college was at Hearts after a big, big retail company. And I loved the store. And I also really love the idea of training and development. And so I started there. But then when I went to Land's End, my first job was training the phone operators. I have degrees in marketing and apparel design. So it's this wonderful fit. And so here's what I want to tell people out there. Everything you do can be a customer experience role. Don't set your sights on today becoming a chief customer officer. Realize that you have gifts to impact your role in terms of improving customers' lives, no matter what it is. In fact, I tell people, if you ultimately do want to lead this work for an organization, you need to get your fingernails dirty. So lead an operation in a very customer-driven and human and employee-driven way. Run the call center in that manner. And so for me at Land's End, it was great because I was teaching the phone reps and I was on the phones all the time listening in. And so I'm kind of fearless, just started peppering Gary Comer, our founder, with things that we needed to do. That's the other thing that's important is if you have a passion, it's fantastic, but you need to be able to package the passion into simplicity, pragmatism, and an understanding for leaders on why it's important to do this work. For example, a great path potentially to digging deeper and deeper into this work is inside the call center. But if you're leaving the work inside a call center, for example, or your manager, make sure that you raise the work and not reading just individual letters, but aggregating many, many of them to show trends and opportunities so that we don't show up as the bleeding heart department you know, it's great to really care, but we do need to aggregate it into business outcomes and strategic goals for the organization. So I did that at Land's End and then I trained. And then within the two years of training, I went and reported to Gary Comer, the founder of the company and the two other executive vice presidents. And that was bizarre. Again, it was a fast growing young company. And so I was about 25 when that happened, which is pretty crazy. And then when we went public, I presented to the financial community the connection between customer experience and the growth of Land's End.
0: Gary Comer, did he have customer experience in his bones too?
1: Yes. And that's quite honestly why I was able to, in the beginning of my career, fly as far as I was and get the experience, which gave me such credibility. Moving forward, the rest of the companies I moved on to weren't necessarily that way, but because I had the grounding of Land's End, but then kept moving. That's why I write the books I write so that I can give people the kit bag I wish I had had on my desk when I was bumping my head against the wall and reinventing the wheel over and over again. So I went to Mazda after that, and the Mazda role was interesting because it was three of us. You guys will probably recognize your life in some of these three of us really trying to figure out, okay, how do we not only build a brand experience at the corporate level, but also unite the over 900 dealers in their behaviors and what they do. So I did all the crazy process mapping work at the dealership level and we engaged dealers, but then I also did all the data work around customer lifetime value and integrating. We had 24 flat files at the time. You probably don't even know what that is, some of you guys out there. But we didn't even have a relational database. So I integrated 24 flat files into the first relational database so we could have one view of the customer and be able to even show the leaky bucket. And this thing that I talk about customers as assets It got its legs at Land's End because back then we always were around data. We always knew the recency, frequency, and value of a customer. So I think because I started in such a data-driven industry, it became a pull thread all the way through. So at Mazda, it was critical that I established that for the ROI and the growth of it. And then that gave me a lot of credibility. When I went to Coldwell Banker, I went there on purpose. Coldwell Banker is a franchise company in the United States who builds the branding and the methodology around buying and selling homes. They convert independent, really, really wonderful mom and pop and larger independent real estate agencies into the franchise business. And so my job was serving, supporting, and growing the loyalty of the franchisees who were our growth engine, really, to stay with us and helping them deliver better experiences to their end buyer and seller home customers. But what I wanted to do and why I went there was that I would have the field reporting to me and building out a lot of the very, very operational elements of running that business. That was a critical part of my kit bag. At Mazda, it was leading and guiding, but then at Coldwell Banker, I really became a leader of the operation of the business. And I would encourage everyone, if this is something that you want to do, you need to have and take on those roles during the course of your career. The best chief customer officers that I coach are people who have run a part of the business. We have people who are the vice president of the Americas who become the global chief customer officer. You have to be evolved enough as a leader, egoless enough as a leader and kind of beloved and engaging the organization enough that you can be seen as someone to be that glue.
0: Leading a part of the business is essential. And then what i picking up also from what you're saying, is just this cross-functional diversity of your experience too. So working in the different parts of the business and really understanding what the challenges are and how the day-to-day work of those different departments ultimately results in customer outcomes and being able to understand that and then bring
1: that together. You don't have to say, gosh, I want to have a CX role to be able to impact the business. You know, if that's what you want to do and that's fantastic, do it, but you have the power to improve lives. And I would say getting your chops and getting your fingernails dirty and understanding the work of an organization and also what I call the underbelly because it really is the frailties of people and how they're rewarded and how they have found success And the fact that so much success in business is up through your silo versus collaboratively across teams, and we're upsetting the apple cart when we come in and do this work often. So it is as much about identifying what needs to be done and more about uniting people and addressing the reward, the engagement, the elevating people's spirits that has to come out of this work and taking away the fear of doing it. And so that's why, you know, you might call it change management. Some of it is therapy. It certainly has to be about the leadership team. And also in the Chief Customer Officer 2.0 book, the very first chapter is about uniting the leadership team. You need to really establish one version of the truth of where your starting point is and where you're going, because otherwise you fall into this inadvertent hole of your inventorying projects and going after projects, or everybody's looking at a dashboard and coming up with their own projects, and you're going to get a false positive, oh, we're doing 200 things, we must be doing great. Uh, Not necessarily. If you're still in the project mentality of
0: customer experience, then you're in trouble, And that underbelly of work is so important. And I think where a lot of customer experience professionals and practitioners out there really realize the magnitude of things. And also where I think leaders realize
1: magnitude. The two biggest companies I learned a lot from are also the hard experiences. Allstate was a huge company when I went to them. It was a $62 billion company by the time I had gotten there. And this was interesting because I initially was reporting to a great guy, the chief marketing officer, but I knew I couldn't get done what I needed to get done working there for a lot of reasons. It wasn't about him. It was about being pigeonholed in the marketing silo. And so I made my case again, fearless and reported to the CEO of the personal lines company, which is the line share of the business at that time. And that was really critical. But what I learned at both Allstate and Microsoft is something I talk about in all my books is the power core. The power core for everyone out there is when you come into a company or you're in a company and you're engaging in this work, you do need to take stock of the core skill sets of the leaders and the clearest, simplest understanding of what they think is important. You may want to change that or disagree with it, but you need to dance with that power core to earn the right to credibility and add value so that you can expand over time what the work is. And so at Allstate, two big power cores. One was the vertical of doing insurance in a lot of industries such as financial services, even hotels. Now they're expanding more into service and experience, but for many, many years, it was check-in, the room. You know, it was these verticals of tasks, Versus knitting together for an experience, healthcare is evolving, of course, but definitely for insurance, it's the actuarial sciences, it's claims, it's agents. That was a big one. So I had to really engage with the leaders of those critical areas, but then also really engaged with the senior VP of the agents and the sales force because selling was our other big power core sales one of the first ways I earned great credibility was he and I partnered on really examining how agents were paid and rewarded. And they were paid and rewarded for incoming business, but not the expansion or the growth of their book of business. Which, you know, Julia, has everything to do with attitude and behavior. 100%. One of the other things I learned over time is check your ego at the door. I talk about it a lot. Our work is to shine a light on others. Not easy to do when we're used to having to shine a light on ourselves to get rewarded. But when this was presented and packaged and rolled out, it wasn't me. It was him who rolled it out. Big lessons there.
0: I remember when i was reading chief customer officer 2.0 reading about the power core and it really resonated with me i was like wow this is so true you've got to go into an organization and recognize where is the business focusing their energy what team or leader is swinging more weight around than others and tackle that as the group that you need to align to what you're doing
1: It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, I call it dance with the power
0: core. You know, I don't have the opportunity very often to interview people with such breadth of knowledge or length of time working in customer experience. I mean, you've been in this field since the very, very beginning and in one of the first markets to adopt customer centricity, although, you know, obviously that varies from business to business. And these concepts, they're not as entrenched in other places in the world and Some of us have joined this field of work well after the momentum that you helped start was underway. How has customer experience as a business practice evolved over the last 20 years, 25 years? Just for those of us that are newer to the field, just to get kind of an appreciation for where we are now and where we've come from.
1: I've lived through every derivation of this focus, if you will. There will always be companies who have great, I call them salmon leaders. They push against the normal tide and they have a view and a vision. And those are the companies that are going to thrive organically because of the way that they're led. But there have been movements to help the others figure out how to embed this, at least technically. It requires the technical and the heart. And that's why some of it doesn't come through. And that's why some companies rise and elevate more than others is they're technically adept, but may not have the heart, but many versions of this. So we had TQM, total quality movement, a lot of work started by Tom Peters and the excellence movement. We had a lot of work starting and working our way through when surveys were initiated, but really it's been things also happening in the marketplace that have pushed this work along and to the forefront. I've been working on this for a very long time and some leaders get it and some don't. I think when it really, really did click was when we started doing the work. I call it customer math or customers as assets and help leaders to understand that you make more growth, revenue, and market goodness that leads to more market goodness when you honor and grow your existing customers. It can't just be through acquisition. Now, intellectually, that makes a lot of sense. But the financial downturn, the two that we went through, in fact, started to help click that in. Leaders finally started asking for the math, doing the math, and recognizing the math, the power of the math. The other thing that has helped us significantly is the explosion of social media. For a long time, brands had the megaphone. They were defining it. It was marketing and advertising agencies, all great people doing good work and saying, here's who we are. But now the customer is saying, here's who they are. And you know, when they talk on social media and you watch and listen to what people say, they really say three things. Did you do what you said you were gonna do? Did you improve my life? And how did you make me feel? And it's requiring, first of all, clarity on who you are, but then reliability in your operating model to deliver. You know, everybody wants to go after the wow moments, but if you don't get one company reliability across those goals the customer is trying to accomplish especially in a world of social media, you're only as good as the last interaction you had. You're not going to really elevate your brand or your company or your experience or sell more stuff in the marketplace. The third thing that is happening is we're seeing pockets of leaders get this. It's not fully bred that the silos don't organically unite themselves. And so that's why the emergence of chief customer officers and customer experience as a profession has gotten the groundswell that it has. The challenge and what I was fearful of when we started the Customer Experience Professionals Association, for example, was that we get too focused on the mechanics of it and lose sight of the meaning of it, which is to improve lives, to have elevated behavior that's uncommon in how you lead, in who you are in the company and how you execute what you do. And that's probably for some folks who are struggling a little, Julia, that is what they're experiencing, right? They've almost become their own silo. The last big thing that is impacting this and I think becomes an opportunity is what we're living in now. COVID, riots, all this other stuff. What's missing in 90% of customer experience or any kind of business transformation, experience is part of the toolkit of leadership. It's not the only way you're going to become the great company that you need to become. But what's missing as companies yearn and grow and try to become great companies is leaders clicking in their own personal behavior in leaders uniting and being really clear and having language over and over again that reinforces how they will and will not grow and how they will and will not behave. And in COVID, we are seeing humanity we are seeing cracking open a corporate veneer where CEOs are sitting down on their couches in their living rooms, talking to their employees, talking to their customers, sharing things, pulling back from policies to make it easier for people to pay, adjusting, shifting in a very fast way. Things we've had on projects for years now, the acceleration of digital in months, where your project plan might have been years previously, because we're focusing on the life and we're getting the prioritization right. So for me, this time is an opportunity to hold on to that, to say, okay, these are the new behaviors we're seeing. How do we make that be now and forevermore how we behave as a company?
0: How can we as customer experience practitioners and professionals help leaders hold on to that as we move into the new normal. We don't know what the new normal looks like or how long this virus is going to be with us. But as things change, how can we help leaders hold on to that?
1: I define customer experience much more broadly than people do. For me, it's leadership. If you're running a VOC or you're doing a good and important tactical or technical element of customer experience, what I would say is the highest level leaders in the organization What you could do, for example, is trend the feedback you're getting from customers about those good behaviors. I've been working at the C-suite level for a long time now, and what's critical there is that we unite the organization. I think focus. One of the important things that I've been urging people to do that our group can do is go back out and listen and understand customers' goals, not with a survey. Please don't do a survey. Please don't send out a survey that say, what are your goals now? Do fearless listening. Here's a formula. Bring groups of 15 customers on Zoom video calls at a time. You make sure you're grouping them so you have like people and have two to three C-suite and or other leaders throughout the organization rotate in and out. And they ask them what their goals are. What's important to them now? We build your new version. I'm not talking about journey maps anymore. I talk about a goal map. Because they don't necessarily go through journeys. They're trying to accomplish goals. Yeah, their job's to be done. At the end of the day, value needs to be defined by what the customer accomplished because you were in their life, not what you sold them or how much more you made. But again, even in a journey map, a lot of the ones we see are inward versus what we want to get from customers. So anyway, it's an opportunity to do the Vulcan Mind Meld. Do Vulcan Mind Meld 1 by... Getting your leaders to fearlessly listen. Vulcan Mindmeld Two, build your goal map, which recreates the blueprint for how to run your business. And Vulcan Mind Meld three, get to focus on a couple things, not everybody cherry picking their own thing. In order to do this, find some people on the C-suite who get it and want to be the champion of it.
0: That's a great idea, especially since we're at this moment where goals are changing.
1: Take the moment. This is a gift. In a weird way, we are being more human than we've ever been. I mean, we're all human, but our behavior, there's such exemplary behavior out there. Is there crummy behavior? Yeah, but we're seeing more good than not good, right? In business, in a lot of ways.
0: I think it forces humility.
1: Forces a lot of things, but it's not going to happen unless it's embedded in a disciplined way. So how will the leaders meaning report outs change? All these great conversations that leaders are having with employees don't stop, though, when this is over because people love it and they're craving it and they're appreciating it.
0: And they're probably going to need more of it in the new normal. I mean, this has all been like a traumatizing experience for everybody.
1: We're having great conversations out there and you've got to break it into bite-sized pieces.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Jean, so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. I love your work. I love your writing and your thinking in this space. I think that you've provided so much guidance to so many customer experience professionals out there. So it's a real honor and a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you.
1: It's a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for what you're doing and good luck and congrats on the baby coming soon. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to my conversation with Gene Bliss. Wow. It was such a cool opportunity to speak with someone whose work I've admired for many years. Things have changed since the early days of customer experience, but a lot has remained the same. The core challenges of bringing together business silos, driving culture change, and helping leaders see customers as assets still endure. I hope that our conversation provided some ideas and inspiration. Or at least a little comfort, that if you're banging your head against the wall with some of these core customer experience challenges, you are most definitely not alone. Many others have walked this path, and there's a lot that we can learn from each other. Regardless of where you are on your journey as a customer experience professional, I'd highly suggest Jean's books, as well as her podcast and her blog. Personally, I find these to be amazing sources of insight. I'll include links to these in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, I invite you to share the program with others or head on over to iTunes and rate the program. This helps others discover the show. I'll be back with fresh content in a couple of months, but we'll be reposting highlights from the archive. So be sure to subscribe for updates about these episodes and for notifications when new shows go live again. If you're looking for help planning customer experience management in your organization, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My contact details are on my website, or you can reach me on LinkedIn and Twitter. My handle is at Julia Allfeldt.